It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Michael Bridges, Luke Wilkeshire and Sydney FC captain Alex Wilkinson are with us for this edition of The Gagging Pod as we look back at the Socceroos World Cup qualifying, all the Euro 2020 drama including what happened with England in Bulgaria and we look ahead to the Premier League and that of course means Manchester United against Liverpool. David Weiner with you for this episode, so much to talk about, I can't wait to get started. Bridgie, good to see you again. Welcome back as ever. Like I said, Dave, always a pleasure. Love the show. Get excited and can't wait. Well, very much a reason to do that this week. We've got two special guests in for the first time this season. Luke Wilkshire, first gag and pod. Welcome back. Great to have you in and uh, looking, well, putting us to shame because you're ready to run a training session. <laughs> yeah, g'day, mate. It's been a while. Been a while. Thanks for the invite back. What's been busy? You've been winning trophies and getting ready for big trips. Yeah, have been. It's been a, a busy time. Obviously, coming out of football and retirement, it, it's uh, you know going into the coaching role. It's it's busier than ever, but really enjoying it. University of Wollongong Australia shirt you've got on at the moment. What's what's coming up? Yeah, obviously after a successful season with the with the Wolves in the MPL one, uh, we've got a got a nice <laughs> nice trip uh, to China with the University of Wollongong, a bit of a University World Cup in November. So. Preparations are underway and getting the boys ready to go. Good stuff. Well, post Socceroos and with the A League started, we're absolutely absolutely over the moon to have uh, A League captain, the champion Sydney FC, with us here at Optus Sport, Alex Wilkinson. Welcome. Good to see you. H- how are you? Thanks, boys. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, really good. Obviously, it's been a long preseason uh, with the A League, so it's uh, it's nice to get started on the weekend and uh, you know get the season underway. How did you pull up after the opening round, and what's the what's the vibe after that win in Adelaide? Yeah, good to get a win first game, especially away from home. Hindmarsh can be you know, a difficult place to go for, for all teams. So to go down there, get a good win, um, you know, it builds us into the season nicely. We've got a home game this week, which is good. Dave, I've got to say, it's great to see Wilco again after the World Cup that we did. But, um, you know, he's, he's too lean. He's looking too <laughs> fit to be standing next to two ex-players that have kind of piled on a bit of weight. Oh, so you're not on, making on. Me, what, are you, what are you trying to say? When you're not making me and Luke feel a, a 100% um, comfortable stand here seeing this lean, mean man here. It's all part of the man manager of the podcast. I've just brought Alex in to make sure that you two boys lift your... That's <laughs> <laughs> a motivation me after looking at him. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, gents, we're going to start with the, the Socceroos. We're recording just a couple of hours after they uh, won 7-1 in Chinese Taipei overnight. A um, couple of World Cups of Socceroos experience between us to talk through the 12 goals, if my maths is right, between Nepal and Chinese Taipei. Luke, your impressions, job done. Can we read much into these two games? Yeah, it's job done and you, you can only beat what's in front of you. And I think, um, you know, for me, I think it was two good performances. I think especially against Chinese Taipei away, um, you know, no matter what, it's it's a tough place to go any any game like that and people don't realise it. And to, to come away with a 7-1 win was great. I'm sure Arnie's going to be disappointed not to have a clean sheet um, and the goal was probably... A little bit sloppy in terms of switching off and, and getting a bit too comfortable, but I think overall, I think it was a good performance. What did you take out of it, Alex? Yeah, look, I mean, these games are, 
in a way, it's a lose-lose for the Socceroos. I think they're always against this sort of team's meant to win by you know numerous amounts of goals, and if they don't, then they get criticised. But playing against these sorts of nations can all also be pretty difficult. They they sit, <coughs> they tend to sit pretty deep, um, get all their players behind the ball, and they make it pretty difficult um, you know to break down. So it was good to see that we scored as many goals as we did. Good to see um, you know McLaren score a few in the first game, tags in the second game, and. And obviously we've got a new um, set-piece threat through Harry Suter who, who scored in both games, which is great to see as well. What a nice time to make your debut in a, as a centre-back, a towering centre-back in those two games. Right? Did he, was he your standout? Who impressed from you across the two games? Yeah, I think he, he did well. I mean, he, he couldn't really say he was tested defensively in, in those games. Obviously, he's, he's a very big aerial threat on set-pieces for us, which will, will be great going forward, especially against the Asian uh, countries, but I think um, overall, for the one that impressed me was Ryan Grant. I think um, you know he's really made that right back position his own. Uh, his, his forward runs, his energy, and and delivery into the box, I think, is, has improved. Wilco, you can probably tell me better than anyone, but I, I think um, for me, he was a standout over the two games. Yeah, for me, you know, Ryan Grant over the last couple of years, is, he's gone to another level. I think. Um, is that after watching me for a year? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Learn all he did, mate, from you. But like since he's been called into that national setup, you can just tell the confidence within, uh, you know, and the belief uh, within himself has has gone to another level. And Luke is right in saying his his energy and his um, just ability to get forward, um, create play, um, not only in the attacking third, but then able to get back and defend as well is um, is what's so impressive about him. And and you know, Luke's right in saying that you know last night he was he was superb. He laid on a, a great ball for for tags and. Even in the first game, I thought he was superb as well. And for me, he's, he's now one of the first um, names on the team sheet for Rani, I think. Uh, how good can he get? Has he, has he reached his potential? And, and can you give an insight into athletically how impressive he is? Look, in terms of reaching potential, I don't know. I think um, sky's the limit for him. He's still relatively young. He's also, you know, had two major uh, injuries in, in ACLs where he's been out for, you know, at least a couple of seasons as well. So... I think he's, you know, ability-wise, he, he can still get better and better. And um, whether uh, he stays in the A-League or, or wants to test himself overseas, who knows. But I think, um, as I said, the sky's the limit for him. And do you think without Wilco, obviously he's had those two major injuries and you'd look at that energy and the sort of hunger and, and desire and his enjoyment on the pitch, you think that's really, you know, bringing him to life when he is back on the pitch like that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, you know, when you get serious injuries like that in your career and you spend so much time off the pitch it can really make you appreciate um, your time back on the pitch and the enjoyment while playing you know he's spoken well documented uh, he had a a bit of a scare while he was in the surf not long ago he got trapped under um, water and the the cord from his surfboard um, was holding him down and um, you know he was he sort of said that he was making peace with it and you know he was ready to sort of to, for it all to end and you know that's pretty heavy stuff and um, you know I, I read that he, now he you know really enjoys everything he does on a day-to-day basis doesn't take anything for granted and and is just really enjoying being part of not only Sydney FC but the soccer is set up. Did you guys have to pick him up a little bit when you heard that story as, as sort of mates and, and teammates? Yeah a little bit he didn't talk about it too much but he just sort of come back from his ACL injury and then during the accident he broke his arm yeah, in the surf while it was all sort of happening so um that was a bit of a you know a disappointment for him because he'd just come back after a year off and then obviously had to have a couple more months off with his arm. But um, it's all in the past now and, he, and he's absolutely flying. Luke, how big a role you've, you've I mean you've both worked closely with Arnie, but as a fullback, how big a role do they have in his team and how important are they in the Socceroos going forward, particularly uh, against these pack defence that Alex spoke about earlier? 
They're definitely important, especially when you see uh, defenses being very compact through the, through the middle. You need that width and that threat. And um, you know, I think I think Rhino's you know brilliant at. It. I think um, Brad Smith did well as well as he Bayich likes to get forward and the way Arnie likes to play. The fullbacks are important. They need to have energy and, and quality to get forward. And I think the modern day right and left back need to have that quality going forward. Are they the key? Are they so important? Breaking down pack defenses. Is, who, what what, what um. What stood out for you from what you saw and, and what can we improve on in that instance? I think Luke hit the nail on the head there, especially with Arnie. The way he likes to play, um, you know, he did it at Sydney FC. It really involves the fullbacks um, creating a lot of play in and around the box. They get forward late um, and the switcher play comes out. They get forward and like to whip balls into the box. And um, I think that's going to be a major part of, you know, the attacking patterns and the way um, Arnie likes to play. But I think overall, I think the last couple of games have, have gone to show how important Aaron Moy is for me. I think he, um, you know, runs that midfield. He's so creative when he's when he's on the ball. The more we can get him on the ball and um, the more we can get him time on the ball, I think it's going to be um, a huge plus for the Socceroos going forward. Is he Australia's most important player now, Luke? Yeah, look, there's no doubt that he, he's he's probably our best player at, at the current time. He's, he's, he's influential, he's, his composure, his quality on the ball. I mean, you know, we need, we need him to be fit and playing uh, if we're to be successful going forward. We've been searching, Bridgie, for a number nine or just someone to have confidence in front of goal and, and turn opportunities into, you know, take the pressure off. And we had two 26-year-olds in Jamie McLaren and Adam Taggart do so well over these two games. How big a deal is it as a striker? People might say it was Chinese Taipei and Nepal. How big a deal is this goal haul that they got over the last week? Yeah, it's great. It's a confidence booster for both players. Now, I felt... I was happy for um, McLaren because, you know, the, the goals beforehand had been almost non-existent. So as a, as a striker, when you haven't got that confidence in front of goal, it plays on your mind. And to see how well he performed, I mean, he, even when he was speaking after the game, he was just so upbeat and that is huge for a striker. And he would have been disappointed missing out in the next game. But then what's happened? Adam Taggart, player that I was with at Newcastle Jets, loved the enthusiasm, the work rate that he had and the, the ability to sniff out goals. And what he's done, he had a... He had a, a tough time when he went to Fulham in the UK. Um, he's, he's come back. He's played in the A-League and now he's doing amazing things. Um, is it South Korea? Yes. Absolutely killing it. So for him to come on and get the opportunity, take his chance as well, that is only good for the national team, knowing that you've got two boys that are in good form, that are finding the back of the net. And what it does show as well, like the lads were saying, the amount of numbers and players that Australia were getting forward, creating chances. Because when teams do pack the defence like that, and you're tough to break them down. It can be frustrating. And Australia made it look fairly easy, um, but you've still got to finish the chances. And I was delighted for both strikers because I know the confidence going forward from that for club and national level is huge. You mentioned, Alex, the, the glimpses of, of what you know about Arnie's team so well with the use of the fullbacks. Are you seeing his imprint from what you've worked with him extensively? Are you starting to see that rub off on the national team? Um, a little bit, yes and no. I think the way we played at Sydney was um, a little bit different to, to how the national team played at the moment. But... You can still see in some of the attacking patterns, you know, that blueprint that he likes. And as we mentioned before, the fullbacks are key to that. And, um, you know, as is Beige, um, obviously Ryan Grant and Brad Smith are, are going to be an integral part of, you know, how um, the Socceroos sort of move up the pitch when they have the ball. Tell us about, before we move on, what it's like being in an Arnie dressing room. Uh, what, what do these Socceroos look forward to uh, every time they go into camp? And, and what's going to make, uh, you know, what's going to be the, the key to, you know, a really, really big, was it two years on the road to Qatar? Yeah, Wilco will, well, I guess, back me up on this one because, you know, Arnie's massive on a, on a good culture uh, and a good dressing room. He's he's good at creating that. He, he likes to bring in, you know, not only quality players, but players with the right attitude, with the right mentality to, to build into that culture. And, 
you know, there's no doubt that these players will be full of confidence, full of self-belief, um, you know, and enjoying their football. And do you know what it is, Luke? Sometimes that kind of management goes far, is far more beneficial when I look back at managers that I've played are some of them tactical geniuses, but they had no charisma, they had no character. You couldn't affiliate yourself with them or they didn't want to know your business outside of football. Yep. And you get some managers that aren't as tactically great. They see the game, they've played the game, but all they want is about that bunch of players, getting them on the field, but making that weekend training enjoyable, learning as, as you go, but feeling like there's a togetherness and a harmony. And you have, I've had far more success with managers like that, and obviously hearing what you've said there, that that's radiates and speaks volumes for me. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, Bridgie. I think, um, you know, Arnie's that a little bit unique in the fact that I think he's a, he's a great man manager, as the boys have sort of said. He's he's he loves to have a laugh. The boys feel really relaxed around him, but obviously when it's time to work, he's he's very demanding. But he's also really tactically adept as well. He um, does so much work on the tactical side of the game and makes the jobs. Um, so clear for each individual player in, in their individual position that it doesn't matter if there's injuries or suspensions. You know, the guys coming in know exactly what's required um, for their certain position when we do have the ball, when we don't have the ball. And, um, you know, I think that's what makes him, you know, so successful. It's that balance between obviously being a, a great man manager but also being, you know, very good tactically as well. And it must be key as well when you come into an international camp, you don't have a hell of a long time to know exactly what is expected of you. Well, yeah, exactly right. I think a lot of the time you come in and, you know, the two, you might have two trainings before the game and the first one's usually a recovery session because boys have come in from all over the world and then the, you've got that one session before the game. So you've got to be able to get your point across, you know, very quickly and, and, and make sure that the boys understand exactly what's required um, in possession and out of possession in, in basically one session. So you've got to be very clear in your head of what you want to get across. Yeah, I think you're right there, Wilco, and I think that clarity is it's crucial and it's and it's not overcomplicating it or you know, going too in-depth. I know for myself as a player as well, if I had a coach that would bombard me with different information, um, a million things, you know... You just switch off. Yeah, you do. Mm. You do. So when you get those short, clear messages, um, everyone knows their role and you get on with it. And I think he's very good at that. Do you know another key part? Relationships. Uh, The the toughest thing I found when, when I was at the Newcastle Jets and went into the assistant manager's role from doing the youth team... I was told to kind of lose your relationships with some of the players. And I took that advice on board. So, you know, who when the lads are going for games of games of golf, who told us that? Yeah. The head coach at the time. He was saying you've got to lose that relationship with mm. the players. So I just stopped playing golf with the lads. And then it's not until you leave and you find out, so what, what changed? What, why did we fall out? And I'm kind of like, well, we didn't. I was just told not to. And you lose that. You lose the trust element. You lose the, the relationship element. And it's it, it very, very tough. And I think a lot of manager, players that go into the coaching roles lose that when it's actually probably one of the main key points that if your players trust you and you've got that like ability and they're going to go out and perform for you and that was a big mistake that I made interesting stuff and uh yeah key to the road uh, the road to Qatar and uh that's it for the Socceroos for about a month the next time we'll see them is in Jordan uh for a team that we have got quite a recent history against and we've got I think a five point gap on them at the moment so that should a good result there should all but seal the safe passage to the third round of qualifying it was not a straightforward though Bridgie for England in Euro 20 qualifying uh this week um straightforward on the park with a 6-0 win not straightforward off the park with a day to digest what you saw in Sofia, Bulgaria uh what was your reaction at the time well England had to bounce back because the Czech Republic game was was um it was horrific to watch so this was a big game for two reasons they had to win the game and they also had to cope with what went on off the field now Bulgaria had problems previously with 
crowd trouble with the racism that was going on with. So the the crowd had, or UEFA had shut down part of the ground and they won the sanction. Now England knew this going into the game, so they brought in a three strike policy where they would then announce if there was anything happened, there would be an announcement in the tannoy to tell the fans to stop. Then there was a stoppage in the game, and the third one was basically three strikes and you're out. What I can't believe that we're talking about this off the field rather than this 6 0 performance, which was magnificent by England. We're in the, you know, it's coming up 2020. We've got people doing monkey chants when players like Mings and Sterling had the ball. So the captain of England and Southgate have all got together. But not only that, Dave, there was people there doing Nazi salutes. Now, I don't know. I've, I've experienced racism in the past when I've played in England with some boys at Leeds United. Nothing anywhere comes close. And I heard like a police um, delegate talking as well after the game that was there on behalf of the, the English police. So he's never come across anything like that. I think it's absolutely disgraceful. Now, the UEFA have got to do something about this. They're going to punish them very, very harshly. I, I do believe a £50,000 fine for a nation is is embarrassing. The, the shut in the ground obviously didn't show or didn't help. And them fans knew after the two strike, they walked out the ground because they didn't want the game abandoned. But they'd gone and done their, their active protest and things like that. And they had signs saying no respect. It's a disgrace. I'd actually kick them out of this qualification because they can't qualify anyway that's probably not going to hurt them but in a future qualification now the English FA again have had a go and said something should be done but I'm a big believer you've got to practice what you preach yeah now the FA in England have still got problems with racism and if they are not reluctant and have big kahunas as JA likes to say it and go out and actually punish teams in the Premier League or in the English leagues the FA then can't say, oh, you UEFA, you've got to stand up because you've got to practice what you preach. And I'm a big believer until they start doing that and getting the same page because we booed their national anthem as well. Mm. And that's... So, yeah, it was an absolute schmuzzle. And then the, the final icing on the cake was the Bulgarian coach actually coming out and denying the whole thing, saying, well, you booed our national anthem. I didn't hear or see anything when blatantly you could hear it coming through your TV screen. Mm. So he's, he's actually more in the wrong... Than the um, the people yeah. that were when, doing it. When your captain has to go over to the fans at half time and say, "Stop yeah. this!" Look, the Bulgarian uh, head of Bulgarian's FA has resigned overnight, so he's taking some accountability for it. Well, he should have taken the coach with him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you mentioned UEFA needing to stand up. Uh, there's been I don't think there's been much criticism, but there's been a little bit debate about whether the players should have walked off. And I know Gareth Southgate showed amazing leadership, saying that um, you know he felt that they made a really big point as a group by actually stopping a qualifier for two times. It's not the player's responsibility. As a player, talk to me about that moment. This is bigger than them. And, and as you say, you need the roof body to actually actively do something that has consequences. Yeah, The England players could have made a massive stance, the England team, and, and actually made a, a worldwide statement and walked off the field. That Then they might have got punished off the back of that. They did have a togetherness. They said they asked the players, Southgate, at that 43rd minute, do we want to come off? They said, we'll talk about it at half-time. It wasn't their decision to make. It was UEFA's decision to make that statement and do something there and then. If the players... I mean, some of the players were getting their debuts. Mings was there for his debut. I'll ask the boys a question. Yeah. If it's your debut, you're playing for your national team, you're having a good game, you're 4-0 up, do you really want to walk, walk off that field yeah, when exactly. it's not your decision to no. make? Yeah, they're always having the game of their lives. Mings, Mings was man of the match for me. No, I, I agree with you. I think that's UEFA's decision. I think um, as players, you you can't you can't let them win, and you can't let that deter you from what you're there to do, and that's to play football. And I think um, full credit to to England and the and the players how they performed in those circumstances to let the football do the talking, 
And like I say, I, th- I think it's your wife who have to stand up or the FAs and, and make them accountable. Because if they walk off, they essentially, that's, that's classed as a forfeit, no? Yeah. So what happens if it's, a, you know, obviously that game didn't mean much in, in terms of the, you know, end qualifying for the Euros, but what happens if it's the top two teams or the top three, te- one of the top three teams playing for the, the final spot in the Euros and, you know, this race system happens and you want to walk off the pitch, that can cost you a spot in the Euros. Mm-hmm. So it should should never be up to the players. It's up to the higher powers if, if this is happening to them make the decision to pull them or not to pull them and and make a statement i mean this just wasn't about bulgaria being racist to the england some of the england players this is when they were doing that nazi salute that is a that is just a disgrace to the whole world i think it, it, when you when you think what that actually represents and what it means i think it's an absolute disgrace and the, to actually have them doing that on screen and being caught with it i, I just don't know what, what world we live in at this no, moment in no, time, Dave? It's, it's very frightening. Um, Luke, you travelled a fair bit in, in Eastern Europe during your career. How difficult are those places to go to? But also, for us, like like Bridget's just saying, we can't fathom it. How difficult is it to try and even digest almost a different world and, 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 and go there and play? Yeah, look, you've got, you got to understand where you're travelling and, and the cultures or the history of where you're going. But, you know, you talk about the, the modern day and, and these sort of things. You know, the, these people have gone to the stadium. They're not even supporters of football. They're just there to to cause trouble, to preach God knows what, what's in their head um, and try and make a statement. And, you know, as footballers, you go there, you embrace different countries, different cultures in a respectful way and, and, and you like to be treated in the same way. On the park, Bridgie, how amazing was Raheem Sterling's response as an example to that? And you talk about it's not that they responded with amazing character and resilience. Um, not only did they bounce back from the Czech game, they bounced back from the biggest distraction you could possibly have in the most magnificent way. Yeah, the boys use that as their incentive as well to, to get the result. Sterling was magnificent in this game. Uh, Rashford played in the wide left position. Now he's been preaching, saying, I'm not a number nine. And he's playing there for Manchester United. He said, I'm a left side player. I love to drift inside and score goals. It's almost like he had a point to prove as well. He put in a magnificent performance with a great solo goal. And Mings, a left-sided centre-half, playing in there for Aston, from Aston Villa to the England setup. Magnificent game. And his interview after the game, he said, I wasn't going to let them win. He said, "This is, and nobody was going to spoil my day. They were sensational, the three of them. But they, there was the midfield, Harry Winks came in alongside Henderson. And he just looked to control the game completely. Chilwell on the left looked magnificent. Um, Trippier's doing good things in Spain. The balance of the team was outstanding. Much better than the Czech game. Much better than the Czech game, completely. And Harry Kane was dropping in from the number nine position. He was leaving little spaces when the centre-halves didn't follow him. Oh, sorry, when the centre-halves followed him. And who was getting in there? Ross Bartley was making the forward. He was the only one. I looked at the team sheet, actually, Ross Bartley, and I thought, oh, he's not hitting all cylinders. Like, you know, Mount came on. Uh, but he was absolutely brilliant, and he was one of the standouts. So all in all, it was it was a, a huge, huge tick on a performance side of it from some very good individuals. And then even last night, or this morning, sorry, England's 21s got a great result, and it was the boy Eddie Nikita at Leeds United You're getting right. a hat-trick. He had um, the boy Foden um, from City playing the game of his life. So the, the, it's just a great time to see English football. You, you boys had a massive golden generation with Australia. I'm really excited about this England squad, but not just there, with the 21s as well, because the, the development and the process that Southgate has been involved in is magnificent. Can they go and win on the win the Euros? Good question. Y- yes. Oh. Yes, they can. 
Now, this is a, it's going to be one hell of a tournament. Um, I think that they can. It's. It, I'm not going to say it's coming home because I said that nothing will come for you two boys. <laughs> it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> the fall, but if any, if there any, if there's any opportunity to go and do it, it, it's this moment with this group of players. So, what will be the difference from going out there and playing like they did against Czech Republic, and going there and having? Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, Kane, absolutely on fire and lifting that trophy. The, the balance of the team. I think when you when when Southgate looked at that, you give a few players an opportunity. They haven't been performing. I think what you've what he's got to do, what he has done, I like. He's picking players that are performing for their clubs. He's not just picking on how many caps you've had in the past, or you know, if you're not in form, you're not getting in this team. And the other thing that he's embraced is the system and the formation. Because if you're playing for Liverpool, you're playing for Man City and you're playing for Chelsea at this moment in time, you're playing a 4-3-3, it's so much easier to get the boys in who know their roles and responsibilities already and just say, you know, freedom to play. And he's just his leadership has been unbelievable. All right, so they're not qualified yet, but Ukraine, Belgium, Italy, Russia, Poland, Spain are. We're a year out. It's a big forecast, but... Who do you guys fancy early doors uh, for the Euros next year? Oh, it's hard to say. I think um, after listening to Bridgie, I think England's going to go on and do it. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> they sold, got, sold it if well. They, if they qualify, <laughs> that is. But um, no, look, you, you know, you got Spain there, and you know, Russia have qualified well. You know, Portugal are always going to be a threat. Um, so I think you, you remember the big guy you talked about for Russia was it Zuba? Zuba. Do you know, man, how good's he been? Yeah, he's in some good form. The the Russian national team's doing really well. They've they've qualified well. Um and for them, you know, like I said, they they've also got a lot of young talent that's coming through and an exciting time for them. I think Belgium's gotta be a, a big shout. I think um you know, through qualifying, I think what they've scored thirty goals, conceded one, I think. Um and we talk about Bridgie talked about their golden generation in England and we've talked about our one in the Socceroos. I think this is theirs at the moment. They've sort of got that window now. Um, where they had at the last World Cup and, um, you know, even in 2010, uh, 2014, sorry, a little bit, but now they're sort of, all their players are at the top of their game, really maturing and just the depth of talent they've got all over the park um, is, is frightening. So for me, I think um, they've got to be one of the top contenders. Yeah, and you spoke about Arnie before, the Southgate factor too as well. He seems to be galvanising that team tremendously. Bridgie, from the Euro qualifiers, who was your favourite player? Oh... That is a massive question, mate. Um, I'm going to say Lewandowski of Poland. They have an incredible record in qualifying. Um, and he they, is Mr. They, Talisman. They always do. Yeah. Poland always seem to qualify. And then when it comes to the major events, Lewandowski goes hiding. <laughs> the team go hiding and Poland have an absolute nightmare. Come the qualification for the next big tournament, who's top goal scorer? Lewandowski. Who qualifies? Poland. It's just something. And he's had a flying start at Bayern as well this season. But um, yeah, he's he's probably been the, the one major standout for me. Yeah, outstanding. We've had so much football and Optus Sport over, I think, the last six or seven days. Uh, every qualifier live, more games than you could possibly think of. So if you want to catch up on any of them, all the top goals, all the recaps, all who impressed, who didn't, it's all on the Optus Sport app for you. And there's one more window in about a month where we'll see who get the other 19 spots at Euro 2020, which, of course, is also all on Optus Sport. Also on Optus Sport this weekend, the Premier League returns, and we're going to jump straight to the climax of the weekend because it's Manchester United against Liverpool. A game that yesteryear would have been pitting two clubs against each other at the top of the table or fighting for pride and supremacy. Right now, Bridgie, what is this a battle of? This is a battle of can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer stop Liverpool scoring a goal or can Manchester United stop them scoring a goal at Old Trafford? I never thought I would see the day when United would be happy with a point at home. 
and that is the situation that they're in at this moment in time and it, it's going to be a, an absolute classic Liverpool's what is it 16 straight wins will it be a classic? Yeah, I think it will be for Liverpool yeah. if you're a Liverpool <laughs> fan it's going to be an absolute classic mate four Man United fans I, I'm not too sure but it's the, it's the rivalry between the two clubs that is historic I've said the ex-players when we get together and do some um, some senior games around the world it They've still got that competitive edge, but this this is um, a one-way traffic for me. And you got Liverpool coming and the Gea just going off injured for Spain. How are you feeling as a Manchester United supporter right now? Well, they've got injuries already. <laughs> and oh. then if that happens, you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd just be sick. Absolutely oh. sick. There's only one bit of joy that I see from it at this moment in time, and that is the fact that um, Rashford had such a good performance for England out on the left-hand side. Is Solskjaer going to do that and give him his licence <laughs> to go question. and play out That's there? a question. Where is he going to play? But he's got that James boy doing so well. So it's oh, it's it's not looking good for United this weekend. We talk about De Gea, uh, Luke. It's amazing how many injuries they've actually got and what that has exposed in their depth. Do you think they've got enough to take on this Liverpool team? I saw, I think it was, um, I could be wrong, I think it was Danny Mills on Sky Sports did a combined 11 with 11 Liverpool players <laughs> to talk about the comparison between the depth. Can United compete? Solskjaer uh, said this is the perfect game for them. Is it? For me, no. I think... Um, for me, no, he might be playing. For me, for me, no. <laughs> No, look, I think... Um, Very good, sorry, it took me a second <laughs> to get that. was good. But at this point in time, and you look at the form Liverpool's in and, and, and Man United at the moment. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And with the injuries, I think, um, you know, for me, I can only see a Liverpool win. I think um, the form they're in. Manchester United, they're going to have to put in a massive, massive performance and some players are, some players are really going to have to step up. I think sometimes when, you know, it's an interesting comment from Solskjaer because I think sometimes when you're lacking confidence or results aren't going your way, to have a big game coming up can sometimes obviously galvanise the squad and and I just don't think that's going to happen this week. I just can't see any way that Liverpool don't win this game. I just don't think Manchester United can live with them at the moment um, with the amount of players they got out injured, um, with Liverpool firing on all cylinders. Um, you know, for me, I, I don't think it's a great time for them to be playing at all. Having said that, you've got to go back to 2014, December the 14th, was the last time Liverpool actually got a result there. Oh, sorry, 16th of March at Old Trafford with a 3 0 win. Could be similar this week. Yeah, 3 0. That sounds about right. What would happen? Uh, hypothetically, if you're if you're Manchester United and Liverpool go on, they they equal the record for consecutive wins against United. Possibly, I'm talking hypothetically, emphatically. What happens, Alex? Like. Can, how long can Oli hang on? Or what happens as a club when the momentum is just riding against you? It's amazing to see where they're sort of at it, isn't it, Manchester United? You know, we're so used to them being such a, a phenomenal force in England. And now, um, especially this season, they're just a sort of a mediocre, middle, middle-of-the-range team. And you're just not used to seeing that. So, you know, if they do happen to um, end up losing this week, um, it who knows what will happen. I think they've got a pretty... 
Um, tough run coming up, obviously, and um, interesting to see how long they actually do give Solskjaer because they've given him a, a long-term deal. It'll be interesting to see how long he lasts. How long are you giving him, Bridgie? Me, Alex just said a tough run, and it starts with Liverpool this weekend, yeah. Norwich, Bournemouth, Brighton, and Sheffield United. That is a tough run in the situation that you're in at Manchester United because... You're expected to win those games normally, aren't you? You, know? you spoke about lose-lose before in the international setup. Can you imagine if whatever happens this weekend and then there's negative results against that quartet? I think uh, you look at that that run of games that, that United have got and, you know, they'll, like Bridgie said, I think they'd be happy for a draw this weekend if they possibly could and then to try and go into those ones and pick up results. But the way it's looking, I think, um, you know, and... and the men United supporters will be looking beyond Liverpool at, that they're actually difficult games to be playing against Norwich and Bournemouth and Brighton. It is a it's a tough run of games. Yeah. yeah, I think if you're I think the difference now is that maybe three, four, five years ago with Manchester United, you talk about those teams who they've got in the next five runs, those teams coming up against Man U, they're just thinking, All right, mm. that's that's we're not gonna win that game. That's three points lost, we move on to the next week. But now I think these teams that are coming up against Man U that are the mid table teams rightly think they can win these games and you know can get three points out of it and that's I think the difference in a little bit of mentality there as well two points off relegation well if you want to laugh that's the two Brighton and uh, and, and there was one other one Sheffield United. Sheffield United they're on the same points it is their level at the moment um, flipping to Liverpool Alex you spent a lot of the time a lot of time recently at the top of the table being the chased uh, having leads um, having to uh, be the hunted can you give us an insight into the mentality and the mindset that Liverpool will have to garner to, to hold this lead and why this year for them can be different? I think just once you, you get that lead on top and, and the wins start racking up like they have, have been with Liverpool, it's just a confidence thing and you sort of go into every game um, no matter who it's against, just believing that, you know, after 90 minutes you're going to come out on top and, and be the winner. And it just becomes sort of automatic that no matter what situation you're in within a game that you know you can get yourself out of it and you know you can win. And, you know, that's probably exactly how Liverpool are feeling at the moment with, um, what are they, eight straight this season so far. And, um, you know, they'll be feeling invincible and enjoying it. I don't think they'll be feeling any sort of pressure. You know, they've got players in there. Um, who can deal with it if they are? But for me, it's just, they're just going to be on, you know, full of confidence and, and looking forward to every game. He said what? Interesting. I love this from James Milner from Liverpool on, on Jurgen Klopp. And he says, the biggest thing with a manager is that what you see is what you get. He doesn't have one front for the camera and then he's completely different with the players. He's honest with the players and he lives every single minute of it. What is it like having a manager like that that you want to play for? Can you give us an insight into maybe someone from from your career that, that brought the best out of you like that? Yeah, I think it, it's crucial for, for a manager to be like that. And you, you see when, you, when your players are speaking about and, and like in public, uh, the, yeah, the kind of person, the, the players aren't, aren't stupid. They, um, they know when, you, when you're playing for the cameras, when, you, when you're doing something that's not, not real and they can feel it. And I think coaches that come with that passion, with that energy to train and day in, day out, to games day in, day out with that, it rubs off on the players. It rubs off his his hunger, his will to win, his desire and workload. You see it rubbing off on every single Liverpool player, and I think that's crucial. Bridget, do you have an anecdote from your career or manager that you wanted to run through a brick wall for, like like Klopp? I think it just goes back to what I was saying earlier. How I made that decision to kind of isolate myself from some of the players that I had relationships with, and I look back on managers where I had Bobby Bobby Robson. Sir Bobby Robson, sadly not with us anymore. I was only there for eight months with that guy. What I what I learned, and I look back on and seeing that man was a, a father figure, um, almost like the granddad that you never had. He, he had an open door relationship when he dropped you or you weren't involved in the squad. He'd say, come in the office and have a chat, boys. The three of you would sit in there and he'd have a chat and say, why? 
and he was honest and that's exactly what it what it's all about and I look back on managers now that are coaching and you try to take the best bits out of all of them and try and blend it into your kind of to add to your characteristics and Bobby was Bobby was the best yeah I think it it comes down a lot to man management and um, how players respond to to the manager and um, you know if the manager like Bridgie said actually cares about you asks questions about you um, knows things about yourself your family uh, you, you feel like you want to go out there and, and run through brick walls and, and play um, and play to win for them and you know I think man management sometimes can be um, overlooked but for me it's it's so important if the players feel relaxed and they're enjoying themselves in the environment you know they're so much more likely to to be successful in my opinion and banter comes with that as well there's nothing better than going into an environment where you're allowed to have a bit of banter until you step over that white at line. the right time yes at the right time that's known when is right and when is wrong to have that kind of affiliation and I think it's invaluable if you've got a happy dressing room where the lads are sledging each other the coaching staff can get involved I mean I've had some funny assistant managers normally you have like it's yin and yang mm. you've had some funny assistant managers over the years um, who have got the right time but you know as soon as that coaching head is on you're kind of like right we're in game zone here good cop bad cop rightio then give us an answer okay Bridgie if Everton lose to West Ham at Goodison Park Marco Silva is at Centrelink all the way here, <laughs> you might have to get away from the um, from the Evertonians. I'll tell you that uh, the money that he spent, the what what is going on there at this moment in time? The the fans are absolutely fuming with this guy. Uh, they were unhappy with Allardyce before that, and I, uh, he, I, they said they've given three games. I can't see it after this game. That'll be five straight losses then, or six. Mm. Not good enough. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, you know, there's already talk about who's going to be possibly coming in to replace him. I think the the pressure's on, and you know at Everton, you probably know better than me, Bridgie, but they don't accept losing five games in a row. N- not not at all, especially when the money that has been spent. This now you've got to be careful what you what you ask for, what you wish for. Mm. Sometimes it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. The fans were unhappy with Allardyce's style of play, so they brought in Marco Silva. He's trying to change the philosophy and the playing playing out. I just feel like they've really missed getting in number nine or s- because you've got some great players that can supply. Calvin Lewin, young boy, still learning his trade, not a prolific goal scorer. Um, they, was it Keane? Yeah, Keane came in again. Was he prolific? Has he was he shown that he can score to keep you in the Premier League and and do things like that, or score to get you in the top six Premier League? That they have not got that guy that is the prolific twenty man a goal season. And when you're creating chances, uh, or you're trying to, and you're doing the build-up play, you've still you've got to get your your quality finishing. You've got to be able to score goals. Silver hasn't been able to do that. The fans haven't enjoyed what they've seen. And again, like I say, you just got to be careful what you wish for in managers. He's got a lot to prove, does Marco Silver still? I'm um, Alex at home to Watford. Tottenham need to. <laughs> they just got to win, don't they? <laughs> they just got to get back on track. They've um, hit a massive flat spot at the moment, haven't they? It's just. Um, what was it, 7-2 to Bayern, and yeah. they go to Brighton, lose 3-0. Um, you know, things aren't going too well there after the success they had last season. So I think for them, uh, this game will probably come at the perfect time for them. I think Watford at what, bottom of the league, I think they've scored four goals all season, conceded something like 20. So um, this could be, um, we, you know, we talked about Solskjaer saying the perfect time for Manchester to play Liverpool. I think this probably is the perfect time for Tottenham to play Watford. They, this could be a real confidence booster, hopefully, I, for them. I watch Watford... In England, a few weeks ago, it was 2-2 against Arsenal. First half, Watford were shambolic. They were 2-0 down. Second half, they looked like the 
the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> basketball team. You couldn't <laughs> couldn't get the ball off them. And I was thinking, how is this team bottom of the league? And then they go and get absolutely smashed at Man City the following game. And I'm I'm scratching my head. This is a game that I don't think Tottenham want at this moment in time. And I, if the question was asked to me, I would have said drop Ericsson. That would have been yeah. my answer because he doesn't want to be there. Right. And I never thought I'd say that. I love the way he plays, but he, he's really down tools until January. Well, I didn't ask you, and I'm not going to ask you uh, what might happen if they do lose this game because uh, uh, I, I might oh, cry. It's, uh, but it's massive <laughs> for them. Off the back of two, two big losses, yeah. you know, 3-0 to Brighton and 7-2 against, against Bayern Munich. It's, you know, they need to get back on the winning streak and, and get that confidence going. Yeah, but I can't even fathom the hysteria if Tottenham lose this game at home and what... what the fallout from that is, um, given that everything that happened before the international window and looking for a response from Pochettino and his side. Luke, to be a banana skin for City, Crystal Palace will have to... Yeah, they're going to have to be firing, that's for sure. I think, um, you know, Manchester City, they had, a, they had a little blip, but they've bounced bounced back. And I think, um, you know, City, City are hungry. They need to win. They need to keep on the tails of Liverpool. And uh, I think Crystal Palace, you know, I, I can't see him, see him doing it, but they'll, they'll definitely need to be full guns blazing. We're almost getting to the stage now where City can't afford to drop too many more points already. You know, it just seems ridiculous to say, but we're a long, long, long way out from the end of the season. But they're already, what, eight behind, is it? You know, if if they start dropping any more points and then as soon as Liverpool come up against Man City and if Liverpool win that one, you know, we're looking at a huge gap. Yeah, it's extraordinary. It's actually extraordinary. And Palace did beat City last year um, and are in good form themselves. Love a giant killing, a giant killing result. Yeah, they do. And... But like I said, I think uh, Manchester City and the quality they got in the squad, I think after that little blip that they had losing at home, I think the the reaction, which we I guess we expected from such a quality side, I think um, you know Crystal Palace haven't got enough for them. Yeah. Alex, uh, change of pace here. The club that should gamble on Zlatan Ibrahimovic is... <laughs> I'd love it to see him out here. Imagine Sydney FC? Yeah, wouldn't yeah. we? <laughs> Sydney FC would be nice. Um, imagine, you know, we talk about a, uh, Marquis in the A-League. Imagine having someone like him come out here. It's not just what he does on the field, but what he um, could bring to the league off the field as well. You know, you see him in LA on all the, the major talk shows, on all the major news channels all the time promoting, you know, inadvertently promoting the league and promoting LA, LA Galaxy. To have Imagine having him out here and living in probably one of, you know, Sydney or Melbourne, one of the biggest cities. And um, What about Newcastle? <laughs> Never know, maybe yeah, Newcastle, you could show him the ropes <laughs> up there, mate. But just, yeah, it, I mean, whether it's doable or not, that's a huge yeah. question mark. But, you know, imagine having someone like him out here. It'd be, it'd be unbelievable. I love it how you said he promotes the league and he promotes the city. I think he promotes himself first and then whatever sprinkles <laughs> off the back of that happens. Uh, there, look, there's been a lot of talk that uh, the league is moving away from that approach. As a mm. player, do you get a kick from seeing a guy like that linked to the league or possibly be here. Um, just last week, we, we saw an extract from Emil Heskey's book where he spoke about how much he enjoyed his time here and, and what an occasion it was down at uh, SFS at the time when it was against Del Piero and 45,000. Um, Sinjiona was there that year. Yeah, yeah. What's, your, what's your point of view on that? I mean, we joke about Zlatan. It's probably pie in the sky. But yeah, you'd love you'd love to I see it, right? It's it's an interesting question. You know, um, I think there's been a lot of debate recently about um, when you're going for marquee players, do you go for that? big name or do you go for guys who are maybe a lesser name but have been extremely successful in whatever league they're in and I think it all comes down to you know the individual player if you if you can get a player like Slatan who's obviously still um, banging in the goals in LA um, and doing so well then you know you'd be crazy not to but I also think we're past the stage here in the in the A-League where we need to go fishing for a big name who 
you know, might not be playing too much or uh, might be a little bit past it just to promote the league. I think we're better off spending that money on a player like, you know, Merzhevsky or a Ninkovic or a Castro or, or a player like this who people had no idea who they were before they came to Australia, but they've literally lit our league up and, and, and been superb. Yeah, but saying that, you look at someone like Zlatan and you've got... There's no doubt in my mind still that he will come. He can still perform exactly. and he'll want to go and conquer another continent. That, that's the kind of mentality that he has. He's not going to come for a holiday. So when you're looking at someone like that, you're getting both obviously the massive brand and name, but you also got someone who's going to come and bring a lot of quality and still want to conquer something. And then get end of the day, somebody like Wilco centre-half playing again, you want to match up against some of the, the best players you can because it's going to develop your game. You want to challenge yourself and somebody like Zlatan would be magnificent and you want to play against them that wouldn't be a challenge to Wilco <laughs> cigars cigars <laughs> could he go to Man United well I was going to say we, we spoke about the A-League but actually yeah could he go to a, a Champions League or a top top five club still for a little cameo well Wayne Rooney was wanting to get back to United he's gone to Derby you know he's signed that contract with Derby he's got all that issues going on with Colleen Nolan and bloody Vardy's <laughs> Vardy's partner I want to see them two get in the ring actually I think it's Eddie Hearn, the boxing promoter. He's trying to <laughs> all over it. He's all over it. He's trying to, to get that one um, to come to the fruition. But yeah, Zlatan, I, I possibly could see him returning to somewhere in Europe. Yeah, the saviour. The saviour. Back to the A-League, Alex. We spoke about the first weekend at the start of the show and uh, um, it's a long wait for the start of the season. And what did you make of the, of the first round and, and, and your first impressions of, of the competition being back? Yeah, look, I think it was a, a pretty good first round for um, the league in general. Um, I know our game was pretty high scoring end to end, which wasn't um, you know great on our behalf, I suppose. But for a neutral, um, it was a good game to watch. And you know, it's interesting to see all the teams step out and um, the new players come in. You don't get to see too much of the preseason um, and what most teams have sort of done because there's not many competitive games if you're not um, in the FA Cup. Uh, the FFA Cup, sorry, you don't get to see anyone play, basically. All the games are behind closed doors. So um, it was good to see all the all the new teams and the new players step out. And, um, you know, I think every team across the league is actually strengthened this year. So um, it's going to be interesting to see um, how, how each individual team does. Yeah, I think for me also, I think it, as a neutral, I think it was a good first round of the A-League. Obviously, teams are still not on... You know, firing on full rusty, cylinders. Yeah. I think I think you'd you'd probably say that yourself, Wilco, with with Sydney FC. But I think there's there was a lot of positives. I think you you know you looked at the likes of Central Coast Mariners. I thought I thought come out and put in a good showing against Wanderers, and we're, we're very unlucky. They were not hard to, done by. They were mm-hmm. very. Um, so I think you know to see teams like that improve, and I think Robbie Fowler's obviously got Brisbane Brisbane going and well organised. I think was a positive. So. You know, I think it's going to be a, a good year ahead. I'd witnessed Brisbane roar the week before their last pre-season game against Peninsula Power, and it finished 2-2. They were brilliant in the first 30 minutes, and second half, they looked terrible, and I thought, it's not a good sign going into the first game of the season. Robbie Fowler, was, he was disgusted, and I think he killed the boys back for about half an hour after the game. But the, he was full of confidence before that. He'd give, obviously given them a bit of a rocket, and the second half against Perth, I thought they were absolutely magnificent. They looked strong. Uh, and they looked they looked a lot more organised than what I'd seen the previous week. So that that was good signs. And I was delighted for Western United as well with Mark Rude in his first game, having to put a squad together and get a club going in such a short period of time to get a win against his old club. There was a fantastic picture of him walking out the ground yeah. <laughs> with a kind of almost like he was getting bombarded by the yeah. the fans that he'd been there with the year before and it was just a it was just a nice moment and a good moment for that club in general. Well it bodes well to see the Mariners 
pushing a new team pushing you want the gap to be close and you want it to be competitive um alex how big a year is this for the a league you know we, we've waited a long time for the season to start we want to come out all guns blazing we want to see it you want your ninkoviches and all, all all those guys are uh, being talked about by everyone um mm. as a captain of a club how big a season is this for the competition yeah, I mean, it is. I think last year we spent a lot of the year talking about what was going on off the field and um, obviously the, the issues between the clubs and the FFA and now that's all sort of been uh, sorted out and the clubs are running the show now. It's um, Hopefully we can spend most of this year talking about the players and, and what's going on on a weekly basis. And um, as I said before, I think most teams have strengthened, which is going to be great for the league. Um, and, you know, you mentioned before about the Mariners and, um, and, and teams like this, I think... Like Lukey said, they look really good on the weekend and I think um, they were a little bit hard done by against the Wanderers but the signs are good there and I think, uh, you know, if, if all those sorts of teams can improve then it's going to make for, you know, a really close league which is which is what we want. Absolutely. You mentioned that, um, you know, people not talking about what they should be talking about last year. As a player, you're obviously very focused but did that element frustrate you that you're busting your gut and, and you're going out and making magnificent performances and the team's going really well but maybe it's not getting the, the traction it should? Not so much frustrate you. I think it's just, well, it's just not right that I go. I guess everyone's, you know, we've got our, our premier competition running and, and, you know, you just don't want people to be talking about what's happening off the field. Yeah, it's all right to be um, discussing it here and there because it is an important issue, but you just don't want it, you know, um, hogging the headlines, I suppose. And that's and that's what it did last year. It was, it was a little bit unfortunate. But this year it's all sorted now and, um, as I said, we can get back to to enjoying the players in on show each week. Absolutely nailed it. The last thing you want every week is seeing the same rubbish or the same derogatory comments about a competition. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Things are going to happen throughout the season, but it was just constant. Uh, you know, nobody knew what was going on, where it was happening. It wasn't good. It was actually toxic. And, it, you know, to get it sorted out to a degree is, is fantastic. Oh, here's a good yarn. Right, let's change the pace to end off with and uh, have a bit of fun with some uh, some of the anecdotes from, from your time. And I saw uh, I saw yesterday that Ajax will travel to Lille in the Champions League uh, next week. They'll travel by train in a statement because they don't want to travel by bus or plane because they want to set a good example, quote-unquote, on climate change. So that's all very nice. But I thought you guys have had a long and interesting careers. What's, what's the most random, obscure, memorable road trip you have in your time? And... Oh, Luke, you must have spent some time going, uh, yeah, <laughs> going actually, around actually, the world. Yeah, there, there has been a few. Um, obviously, I, I remember a trip in uh, by train in when I was in Moscow. So I was from Moscow. I can't remember the city where it was Sansk or something. It was in the, the middle of nowhere. And it was it was like an overnight one. We're in the carriages and it was the old Russian trains and you had like these little beds. And the trip back was okay because we won and we could enjoy it back. But it was, it was pretty much an overnight trip and... Um, like I said, that was my first taste of Russian railway. How long would that have taken? I think it was around five hours, five or six hours. So it was, um, it was interesting. But like I said, at least we got the result and the trip back was enjoyable. Well, very similar story. Our trip wasn't as long, but it was from Sunderland. And we went down to London. Instead of flying, we, we did a similar scenario. And it was great on the way down. Um, the team were there, were all playing cards and a lot of the fans were travelling as well and they couldn't believe that the players were, were on the same train as them. So they came <laughs> in, they're wishing the boys all the best, get yourself you know, a great result for Sunderland down there, go on boys. It was a nightmare coming back after we got smashed and I can't remember whether it was 3, 4, 5, 1 we got done. When the fans have been on the drink all day and you haven't taken security with you and they've got easy access to you, 
I was hiding under the tables. I was hiding under. I, I was collecting all the lad, collecting all the lads' bags just so I could literally <laughs> do my job and hide under it because the fans were coming in. They were, "Where's Peter Reed? We're going to rip his head off. We want to kill him?" And oh, you had a crap game today. And it was just the worst scenario. We never took the train again all season. <laughs> well, right, you Alex, and there must have been some crazy trips just just trying to get to Southeast Asia for the for the Champions League from here or some, something like that. Yeah, those Champions League trips, Luke, you'll tell you sometimes aren't too fun. You got the old um, plane, then a bus, and and whatever you need. To it's get like that there, movie, especially when they put you in kettle class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even with the with the national team, but the last stage of qualifying that the boys are in now, we did like Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, oh, yeah. Bangladesh was a strange one. We we were um, just before we were due to go there, there was a terrorist attack, so they were um, umming and ahhing whether to take us there um, in the first place. And we ended up, I think the game was Tuesday, uh, three o'clock or something. We ended up flying in uh, Monday night at midnight, and then. Just straight to the uh, obviously hotel. Uh, the security was just silly. They just had um, you know every single street on the way to the hotel sort of uh, blocked off and um, literally played the game and and flew out straight straight from the game. We're we're in the country less than less than twelve hours to play a game, but um, you know little funny things like that that you don't uh, I guess see every week. Yeah, and they make uh, when you talk about going to like Chinese Taipei or even playing Nepal, you take for granted. Your, your your journey either side of that game and, and that's so much more than the 90 minutes. Um, one other one to end off with is uh, Brazil midfielder Casemiro. So he was talking about when he when he launched his career and he said, when I went to trial at Sao Paulo, I was a forward, but there were a lot of kids and everyone wanted to play forward. Competition was really big. So that the coach said, are there any defensive midfielders? And I said to myself, okay, I'm a defensive midfielder. <laughs> How did you guys end up in your positions? That's a smart man right there. Yeah. Especially a with Brazilian the, defensive yeah. midfielder. Especially with the quality you can imagine when all them strikers turned up, the backstreet footballers, um, absolutely brilliant. Moment of genius. I actually got in by default into the professional game or into the youth system. I was a midfielder. I was a box-to-box midfielder. I could run. I, I had pace then as well, Luke. Can you believe that? I, I, I can't believe I was that. fast, man. I was a lean, mean fighting machine. I just had an engine. I wasn't a great player. I've got to be honest, not that you needed any <laughs> recollection on that one before you start. There was a guy called Simon Foster. I think I've taught, yeah. taught you that, told you about this one. He was a goal-scoring machine. And he, everybody came to watch this guy play. There were scouts. So you always knew if you were in Simon's team, you might get picked up if you got a few assists. There was one game, he was injured, and we didn't have a striker. And I'd, I'd moved up um, and put my hand up and said, I'll play striker today. And happened to be there was a guy called Jack Hickson scouting on the sideline. This game, I got five goals, and the scout was stood next to my dad. So sometimes you get in by being quality, and sometimes you get in by being the right place at the right time. I was in the right place at the right time. The scout turned to my father. He didn't know it was my father, and said, "Who's the number? Who's the number nine? And he said, "Oh, that's that's Michael Bridges." He said, "I've come here to watch Simon Foster." The goal scorer. And he said, oh, no, he's shite. You don't want to have a look at him. <laughs> Bridges kid's unbelievable. And back then, there was no mobile phones. He said, can you help us get the, the kids' details off the off the teacher? And he said, yeah, no problem. So my dad basically pretended to walk around the field, wrote his own telephone number down, came back and says, there you go. It's kind of backfired on my father because I, I got offered a trial and my father forgot to ask the scout where he was from. Now, my dad was a Newcastle United fan. And the scout, when he rang, he said, can you get your dad to drive you over to Sunderland? We would like to get you on a youth team scholarship or a two-week work experience. And for me, it was the, the highlight or the best day of my life because I got the opportunity. It backfired massively on my dad. But I've got to be very, very grateful. And I still tell him every time I see him, thank you. I get him a drink because he got me a professional football career. Jeez, Simon can, Foster. Can you, top, can you top that one? 
Oh, I don't know about that. Jeez, that, was a, that was a good story there, Bridgie. Thanks for that insight that you weren't a great player. <laughs> a lot of people know that. <laughs> but um, no, I, I actually started as a, as a young kid, obviously playing. And I remember being a goalkeeper at the beginning in, in futsal and things like that. And and yeah, a little bit, I guess you could say like Bridgie was a, was a fit. I could run. Um, I turned into a midfielder. I enjoyed playing midfield and... And that's where I started my professional career as a midfielder, and and I think it was it was when I went to FC Twenty. It was after the two thousand six World Cup, uh, where I'd been playing midfield, and and my coach then Fred Rutten said to me, he he come up to me, he said, yeah, you're you're a good midfielder, central midfielder, right midfield. He goes, but if you want to go to the to the next level and go to the top, he goes, you need to be a right back, a modern day right back. That's where he saw me, and and I started playing right back, and you know I've never been a great defender, but I always knew that that wingers don't like to defend, so I thought if I could go the other way. It, uh, it nice. makes it tough for them. And so, so yeah, I ended up at right back for, for the large part in every now and then playing in midfield, which I preferred because, like I said, I didn't like to defend. Nice. What about you, Alex? Um, I was actually a striker up until um, 15. Now that is brilliant. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable to think. But, um, yeah, obviously just didn't one score day, many goals. That's why they put you back. <laughs> that's what I was exactly about to say. It wasn't obviously doing too well. So the coach came up to me one day and said, look, we, we had an injury at the back. We were actually playing sweeper back then. So I went back and um, played sweeper. And I never found my way back up there ever since. But, uh, yeah, it's funny how, you know, things can things can sort of change. You know, if, if that injury never happened um you know i could have been up front and probably weren't you know wasn't doing too well and never would have got to to where i am today so you took the advice off the coach you listened and you had the belief that you know you it's tough to leave a position and do that yeah well you sort of uh, at the time i thought it would just be for the one game and then obviously uh, <laughs> i ended up pulled the handbrake and was there for the rest of the for the season and then uh, forever from from the, from then on obviously Fantastic stuff. Yeah, well, it's a long way from the front to the back, so you took it well and <laughs> took it on straight on. Gents, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for your time. Bridgie, as ever, Luke, Alex, great to see you and great to have you in Off the Sport for the for the pod. I just want to say it will go. Good luck for the rest of the season, mate. Um, Thanks, Paul. I wish you all the best, and um, I've I've actually got you to win it, so no pressure, Paul. No pressure, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, nice. boys. Thanks for having me. Well, hopefully we'll see you before the end of the season, Bridgie. You've just wished him well for the next six months. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> see you at the end of the season. Good performance. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. To everyone out there, enjoy your football as ever this weekend. There's a massive lineup on Off the Sport. It just continues. And then the Champions League and Europa League are back next week as well. So it's going to rumble on as ever. Massive, massive period ahead. And so as ever, till the next podcast, enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.